Hello and welcome to Developing the Leader Within Podcast, an award-winning podcast where I interview the top players in the leadership arena and we dissect leadership, management, and career development from all angles. My name is Enrique Acosta-Gonzalez and I use my more than 20 years of experience in leadership development to dig deep into complex issues and bring you the answers you were looking for. If a topic resonates with you and you would like to explore how to overcome it, reach out to me at calendly.com backslash triad leadership solutions to discuss ways to succeed. Welcome back to another episode. We are continuing our celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, and we are in California today speaking with Toby Ruiz. I'm not going to tell you how much this this man means to me. We're going to get into the discussion. Uh, Toby is the Command Master Chief of 1st Marine Expeditionary Force, better known as 1st MEF out of Camp Pendleton, California. Toby, welcome to the show Thank you for being with me today. My brother, it's uh, it's great to be here with you. I got to say, you're rocking the Marines very well, too. You, you see you got your Marine Corps red going on. Compliments <laughs> the Marpats we got that this Navy guy gets to wear on this side. Um, it, it's been a while since I've seen you. It's great to see you here. I see all the great work you're doing here on, on your various podcasts. And um, I'm just honored to be here with you today, brother. Thanks for having me. Outstanding. My pleasure and honor. Folks, we're going to be talking about Hispanic leadership in the Navy. Now, this is specific to what it is to be Hispanic and in leadership all along while serving in the Navy. I was blessed to serve 26 years. A lot of that capacity was in leadership position. Uh, but I'm going to let Toby tell us a little bit about him before we get into it. Well, I appreciate that, brother. And we can go any you know directions that you want to go, how specific and in the weeds we want to go. Uh, you, you talked first about Hispanics in the Navy. We, we got roughly 60,000 Hispanics, Latinos across our Navy uh, right now. That number will fluctuate based on recruiting and retention efforts. Um, but, you know, my journey started back in 1991. Uh, I, I joined the Navy when I was 19 years old. And uh, I started first in visual communications and then later on went into uh, kind of a uh, what we call career planners or career counselors. Uh, before I joined the command leadership program in 2008 as a senior chief petty officer, uh, and then, you know, grown into becoming a command master chief, and then at the various levels of where we're at now. So um, 31 and a half years of done ships, uh, aviation squadrons, I've done a EA-6P Prowler squadron along with a Hilo squadron. I've dipped into information warfare, which is where, of course, I met you, uh, not just at the NIOC out in Hawaii, but also, the, the Force Mastery for Naval Information Forces, where you have cryptologists, intelligence specialists, uh, meteorologists, uh, and oceanographers as yourself there, including our uh, intelligence specialists and our IT professionals. And now I get to play over here uh, on the green side with our uh, brothers and sisters in the Marine Corps. We have about roughly 3,500 sailors. Majority of them are hospital corpsmen, our docs. Although we do have a few religious program specialists here, uh, in addition to a couple of logisticians and some admin support. Uh, and so, and, and additionally, also did a tour of Washington, D.C., uh, you know, getting the, the move around the, the halls of the Puzzle Palace, as we call it there at the Pentagon. And uh, so happy to be out of there and back where the goodness of uh, our, our Navy and Marine Corps team is at. It's with our sailors and Marines. Well, I tell you, Toby, I really appreciate your background. Uh, the last we saw, I saw was at the Pentagon at the McPond's office. It was so nice <laughs> to run into you there. Um, but, you know, I was looking at your history. Uh, and, and one thing that I did not know was that you was a signalman, which, oh, by the way, for all those out there that are military and listening, AGs came out of the signalman rate. Uh, they they used to have pigeon men, <laughs> believe that yep. or not, yep. right? And, and yep. the signalman. Uh, our first very chief, our very first chief was a signalman converter to AG. He uh, went uh, and uh, and I got an award, uh, uh, you know, based on his name and his legacy. Uh, it was great. Uh, but yeah, what a stellar uh, history for you and what a stellar track 
uh, and and then you know you 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 have your future coming up, which is I love where you're headed. Uh, but when we talk about leadership, being Hispanic, uh, you know, there's a lot of history that kind of uh, you know is similar as a Hispanic a Latino growing up in a home. But share with us what it was for you growing up uh, Hispanic and Latino. Well, uh, and and that's a great point that you bring out about AG. So back in the old school days when Sigelman used a lot of flashing light to communicate, we would communicate your weather reports to the rest of the strike group. Hey, this is what to expect, whatever. So I appreciate that history, that that old school that uh, you bring back there, Salty Dog. I appreciate that. Um, you, you know, I'm originally from Montebello, California, I, uh, which is just right outside of East Los Angeles. So in the early 70s, um, I lived me and my four sisters, or I'm sorry, my, there's four of us, my three sisters, uh, we lived in a primarily Hispanic Latino community, everybody around us, all, you know, uh, Latinos, Hispanics. But I think as young kids back then, we just didn't know that, or we didn't focus on that. It was just, Hey, you're my neighbor. You're, you know, you're my cousins You're you know, and we just did everything together. Um, and, and that was what was normal to me. Unfortunately, in, in the 70s, you know, into the later 70s, drugs, uh, gangs became a, a pretty significant problem over there. And my mom and dad were very weary of it very quickly. Um, and, and, and we had to get out of that area. So if you picture this for a second, in 1980, we went from huge Los Angeles to a little fly speck in the map town in Colorado. A little town place called Monte Vista, Colorado. It's about 30 uh, miles north of the New Mexico state line in this beautiful mountain valley, El Valle de San Luis, San Luis Valley. And, um, you know, it gets cold there in the winters, but some beautiful, you know, beautiful snowfalls and stuff. And then, of course, mild springs, you know, nice summers out there, very agricultural based type of community we grew up. And I share all of that because in Colorado, my what I grew up in or what I, you know, realized that, Hey, not everybody's Hispanic Latino. Now we have mixed company now. So, you know, a, a lot of other races, a lot of other thought patterns and, and very diverse where we were at, but we had a very huge Latino Hispanic presence there still because of the agricultural uh, you know, community that we had there. We grew a lot of potatoes, uh, lettuce, alfalfa, barley, all there. So the harvest seasons, just predominantly, again, uh, Latinos all over the place, migrant workers coming up to, uh, to do good work and take care of our families and take care of us. Um, I, I, uh, all of those influences, I think, just kind of help, you know, watching them on things that they do, their sense of family, their sense of closeness. Uh, that, that was instilled in me early and even in our family. Now, I, I have another confession that I, I need to make here is that growing up Hispanic, growing up Latino, uh, Rika, you and I were talking about this before we came on air. I, 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 me nor my sisters, we learned Spanish growing up. And now that I'm 50 years old and I've been in this in, out here, very exposed everywhere for a long time, I'm very ashamed of that. And it's, it's hard because I should know more. And, I, and listen, I took four years of high school Spanish. I took two years in college, but I, I think if you don't have that opportunity to, to practice and keep consistent with it, you lose it. So unfortunately I'm that knucklehead that knows enough to get us into trouble. And I'm that knucklehead that knows enough to get us out of trouble, but the fluency part I miss because sometimes I think I feel like, and, and this thought has crossed, you know, come across mine a couple of times am i hispanic enough am i latino enough am i cool enough to hang you know with with, with fellow latinos with you know try to be part of a, a of a group setting there and that question still crosses my mind sometimes so have i been able to be effective in what i do absolutely have i been able to be to be able to reflect and have a um you know thought patterns you know to be able to contribute to the well-being of our sailors and our command stuff, absolutely. But I think we, I can always be better. Um, and so I'm always in consistent, continuous learning mode, sponge mode, 
Um, like I said, I can understand the conversations that you're having when we do come to talk in Spanish. I just can't conjugate fast enough in my mind. I have to put together a thought and then come back and answer you in English, whatever that is. So um, I, I have, uh, I'm grateful that I grew up in Colorado uh, because I think had we stayed in LA, I probably would have been in the, gotten involved in the wrong groups, the wrong things. And I wouldn't be here right now. We wouldn't be talking, Ricky. I probably would have not met you. Um, and, and it could be a lot worse, whether, uh, you know, I had a lot of friends from my early California days that are still very well acquainted with the California penal system. And I, I'm very grateful and, and blessed be to God that um, thanks be to God that didn't go down that path. Uh, you, you bring up a very uh, important point there and all of those things that you say. And we were talking about growing up Hispanic, Latino. Uh, it's amazing how even within uh, having a, a birthright to be Hispanic, Latino, you could still feel out of place given mm -hmm. a certain, you know, a situation. Like if there's a lot of folks that are speaking Spanish. Um, uh, now, I uh, thankfully, my mom, that was my first language, right? I, I did not <laughs> learn. I actually learned English because in my I was born in Puerto Rico. It was Spanish. English wasn't a dominant anything in Puerto Rico. Sometimes yeah, isn't yeah. right, even to the today. Uh, but my mom, that was our first language, so that's what uh, w what we spoke. But as I pulled away in the Navy, actually serving in the Navy, as I pulled away and had to um, exercise English on a daily basis and not so much Spanish. I uh, I've lost some of that fluency. Now I can definitely uh, flow through a whole conversation, understand, write, and speak. Uh, that's not a problem. But the 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 comment that you made uh, kind of hit me. Am I Hispanic enough? Am I Latino enough? Uh, is something that a lot of folks in America, the United States struggle with if they are not in that environment so for those of you out there that may be struggling with something like that you know you're not alone uh mm -hmm. but and and but get some practice get into into those uh circles where you can actually uh practice and get uh get involved i've always said you know mark anthony was born the singer was born in new york raised in new york and he speaks <laughs> way better spanish than me that was born in puerto rico right uh yeah. but it's interesting you, you, and you know what's what's you bring up excellent points as you always do rick i will also tell you that i didn't realize i think until i was in colorado that you know my my dad my dad's parents my grandpa juan uh, immigrated from Chihuahua, Mexico, back uh, back when he was young. My grandma Vita, his wife, had immigrated from their, her family came from Nogales, no, yeah, Nogales over in Sonora, Mexico. Immigrated from there and then set the foundation for the the Ruiz family in uh, in Arizona, Safford, Arizona, and um, so my dad very much. Uh, Hispanic, Latino, Spanish, primary, everything. That's what he grew up in. And they came from a large family. They had 12 kids, um, 11, 12 kids. Uh, check me on that. The um, My mom's side, though, on the other hand, um, my grandparents were already in America back in the early teens, 20s, when they started. Um, you know, their families, I think my grandpa's side uh, immigrated from Mexico, but my grandma's side, was uh, American Indian uh, from the Navajo side in southwestern Colorado, northern New Mexico. So that's kind of where they met. Of course, mom, uh, then what comes after that. So even within the household, dad, very Hispanic, very, you know, everything. Whereas mom, yeah, but not as much, if that makes sense. And I realized that more as we were growing up in Colorado because of, you can tell when dad would cook at night because <laughs> dad cooked and we'd have some damn good Mexican food. Mom, on the other hand, she wasn't not, not as much, you know, and, and she did and definitely not spicy for mom. She hated spicy food. And, uh, you know, just those little things that now that I reflect back on, you know, I'm like, all right, I can see that's, I get that from mom. I get that from dad. 
And, you know, I've lost my mom. Uh, she passed away many years ago, but I still go home at least once a year to see my dad and check on him and, and, uh, and make sure everything's going good. And it's the same thing, you know, you walk in and you, you know, you hear the musica espanol and he's talking the Spanish shows on TV and, 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 you know, a lot of good Mexican food and all that other good stuff there. Um, you know, you, it, it, it's just, it, I don't know. It's that culture. That's something you want to attach yourself to. And I just wish I could keep it for much longer than I get to. I only get to go home for a week if I'm lucky a year, you know, so to embrace that for a few days, my friends over there in Colorado, kind of the same thing, you know, embrace that for a few days and then you come back and it's just kind of back to, you know, what, what your now is in your real time situation. Yeah. Amazing. And, and, you know, uh, we get something like that in service, right? So when, when I first met you, you was actually a command master chief. I was a command senior chief over at JTWC uh, and, and yeah, Hawaii, but you always gravitate, uh, you gravitate to professionalism, right? First, uh, mm -hmm. you gravitate as a as a senior enlisted leader. You gravitate to professionalism first, uh, but then you also notice uh, those of Hispanic descent, Latino descent, that have uh, how we say se han destacado. They have set themselves apart, right, uh, from from the rest of the group and have attained. Uh, these positions of leadership within an, an, a naval organization that's huge, right? It's huge. Um, and and you always, uh, you know, I've always had an admiration for your your background, uh, but also as a, a fellow Latino Hispanic that has, uh, because actually I came in before you, <laughs> right, in the Navy. I was, I'm an 89, yeah. I'm a 89, 89 yeah. baby in Orlando. You're a 91 baby in Orlando. Um, and, uh, and so when I see individuals of Hispanic, uh, heritage, Latino heritage that they have attained so much, you know, you gravitate to that because that's a second element. First mm -hmm. is the professionalism. And I think everybody should aspire to pick somebody that's in their line of sight that is professional and has not only, uh, walked, but talked and walked, uh, that journey. Uh, but if you can uh, find a kin to your heritage, it's even better. It's like a bonus, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, uh, so when, when when I saw you and I saw you, uh, you know, having that professional life within a, a community that I was part of, uh, it always is a source of inspiration and something that you want to be like. So what what was your journey like in the Navy as a Hispanic uh, and Latino? So my first command was uh, back. So, you know, like you said, go to boot camp, go to A school. My A school was down there in Orlando, right nearby where you were at there. And then, believe it or not, as luck and fate would have it, my first duty station was a, a guided missile frigate, uh, USS Ford, uh, FFG-54. And it was stationed back, back when Long Beach, California, had a naval base still. So I was back in L.A. And I tell you what, man, it was great to go back. It was great to go up to Montebello and to East LA. And I would just go drive and for, you know, endless hours and just go get lost in places. And, it, you know, to go back and reflect, go back and see new things that I don't remember as a kid or just learn new things there. So it, it, it was nice one to be back in that setting uh, onto the ship. Um. In the early 90s, I wouldn't say that we had any, I think any command that you went to, I think back in the day, and even maybe still up till today, uh, I wouldn't call them cliques, but you knew the little gatherings, who the people were, and who you you tried to, to hang around your people who share your comfort level that same way. So Latinos, uh, you know, maybe our, our, our Asian Pacific Islanders would have a little group they'd all hang out with. Uh, you know, African-Americans, you name it. Um, you know, as a young sailor back then, I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to be a part of a team because I was trying to find, I was growing up, I was 19 years old, trying to figure out who Toby Reese was. Um, and so a lot of that was with, of course, fellow, uh, fellow Hispanics, Latinos growing in. And I learned a lot from them, you know, because, 
you think that you know a lot from your own household, but then you see other households and the way people were raised and stuff, you always learn from them. And, but I think as I started progressing as a sailor and started getting into leadership positions and being straightened out a few times, Hey, Toby, you're not a know-it-all, you know, and get, get those little, those little life lessons of, you know, check to making sure that uh, we stay grounded. It was very easy to, to see others and integrate to others. Like you said, professional try, you know, I want to learn from them too. I want to learn what, you know, that, that, that family concept of African-Americans is, that's different to us. That's different to APIs are, are very family oriented like Latinos. Um, And if you start digging in there, we do have some mixture, a company of there as well. And that's where you start to realize that, you know what, man, it, we're, we're all the same. We're all in one way or another, we're all the same. And especially on this ship where we need to take it to sea, be ready to, to fight it if we have to. Um, I, that, that I just wanted to be accepted everywhere. I wanted to be that guy that, you know, regardless of who you are, when it, it time, what time it is, whatever. Hey, if I need Toby for something, I want to call Toby. You know, I know he's got my back. And it, so growing up as, as a, as a Latino, that was just kind of, and, and I, again, I don't think I ever really thought about it. I just subconsciously, you'd see different things. Okay. Got it. I don't think I really focused or took note of um, Latino, if you will, specifically in general in positions or anything like that until I made chief petty officer. When I selected as a chief, I think for the first time I realized because now as a chief, you're exposed to much more leadership. You're exposed now to your fellow peers who have different ways of teaching you. And then you start looking at the hierarchical structure from there, which is what I did. And I remember names back when I was a new chief, I met the Pacific fleet master chief for the first time ever fleet and, you know, Latino himself, fleet master chief, uh, Manuel Rodriguez, Hot Rod, or Fleet Rod, we used to call him, uh, you know, and I was like, man, I want to be like that guy someday. I want to be at that level, and it's attainable because I've seen him there. As you grow in your Chiefs career, then you have other big names, McPon Joe Campa, another example there. Uh, McPon, uh, I'm sorry, I beg your pardon, Fleet Master Chief, Marco Ramirez, my next-door neighbor from a couple years ago when we were all in Hawaii together. I mean, you start seeing – all of these people and you start seeing what they have done, what their styles are. And you just try to take little bits and pieces. You're not going to be them. You'll never be them, but there's a lesson that they will give whether directly or just watching them do their thing indirectly that, okay, that's for my toolbox. That's the, Oh, uh, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You keep that one, you know, whatever to help. And I think that's kind of what's helped shape me along the way here is just learning from all of that goodness all of our Latinos across the Navy, like I said, we got roughly 60,000 now. We're, and, and guess what? The population's only growing in the Hispanic community. We're only going to get bigger. More are coming still. So we need to make sure not only do we learn from the best to try to be the best, because we want to make sure that we are teaching our fellow sailors of all types especially you know with with a little bit of heartfelt due for our, our fellow hispanics and latinos that they have the opportunities to be the best themselves yeah absolutely and you mentioned a lot of of, of fond and familiar names there <laughs> that uh that i also you know witnessed um you know the fact that you look up and you say man hey there's a shot there's a shot you know uh if 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 you know, if I emulate the uh, the ethics and and the way these professionals have performed, you know, and you, and you mentioned a good point, you're not going to be them, right? That's why they were them. Uh, but can I follow some footsteps that already already been laid there, right? Can I make them deeper? Can I make the the impact even more uh, as I trek up this journey as a leader? And it's always good to see someone uh, of your uh, heritage, right, uh, attain a position like, you know, command master chief and fleet master chief, force master chief, right? Um, when um, I was, I'll tell you, and I, and I was always proud of how far you had gone, 
But uh, when you were selected as force master chief of ID, I was like, wow, that's, <laughs> you know, that's a, that is an opportunity um, that it wasn't because you was Hispanic. It was because you was a professional, right? That's mm-hmm. why you just happened to be Hispanic. But the thing is that folks don't understand is that that element, although it may not be a determining factor for you to get in a position, it is an in, a, a, a point of inspiration for fellow Hispanics and Latinos that say, man, I aspire to this one office one day. You know, if anybody asks me, I have my... <laughs> No joke. I had my trajectory all the way to the McPawn's office, right? That's how I planned it, right? I planned, my plan was that, you know, God's plan was different, right? And although there were uh, some elements of my career and my life that could have certainly had me in a command senior chief, uh, which I served of as as a collateral duty or a command master chief that was attainable. It just was not in the cards for me. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, you know, I had to come to grips for that, by the way, sure. <laughs> you yep. know, very hard pill to swallow, but, uh, yep. but, but that's what it was, uh, yep. you know, and so thank you for not only, uh, setting the example, but also inspiring folks, whether you knew it or not, that were trying to get to a position where they could also um, make their mark on the world, make their mark on on a community, uh, and 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 leave deep footprints. And I'll credit, you know, my uh, my great sister in the Air Force GI for that. I'll, I'll make sure to. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> linker to this, <laughs> but, uh, you know, leaving deep footprints as you can with the career you have. And uh, undoubtedly, you know, your your Hispanic and Latino heritage um, influenced your leadership style. You may, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll let you expound on that because leadership styles are methodical, right? You can learn uh, how mm-hmm. different leadership styles you can be exposed to different leadership styles, but your heritage has a, you know, even if it's a drop of vanilla in there, it's got a drop of vanilla, right? So how did uh, your heritage influence your leadership style? You know, that, that that's, a, that's a great question to ask there. And I think, again, growing up in a household, mom, dad, so, so mom was the enforcer of the house. Dad was just, you know, he was the, he was the breadwinner. He was the one that, that took care of the family in general. Um, but mama was the enforcer. And, of course, I'm the oldest of the four of us. So it's me and then my three sisters underneath. So only boy, first of all. Then, and then second of all, and I think most, most families have gone through this at, at some point. The oldest always, see, oldest is like the standard. You know, the way above and beyond, you know, protective and, you got to be home by midnight. And boy, when I walked in at 12.01, mom was sitting on the rocking chair just waiting for me with her chocolate ready to go, um, you know. And But as you go, and then as, as, as they went down the line, you know, then I hear stories of my little sister, Gina, who would just, oh, yeah, she'd walk in at 3 o'clock in the morning. What did mom say? Oh, mom was racked out, man. She didn't care. So all those different levels. And I think, and I share that because I, I think – Anybody who's known me for a long time, I, I'm not a yeller. I'm not a screamer. I've tried. And, I, and and don't get me wrong now. You know, I'll yell. I'll get in your face and I'll get in that butt if I have to prove a point. But that's not my norm. I don't like that. And I think, again, growing up in that household and kind of seeing all of those perspectives. And then um, even in the Navy, you know, I, I've seen many of captain's masks, you know, and I've seen COs, that's all they do. They scream, they yell to drive their point, they're knife handing and blah, blah, blah. And then I've had a couple of COs that are simply having the conversation that you and I are having right now, same tone of voice, same whatever, eye to eye, and words matter. And just the way that they share a dialect or a dialogue or, you know, words in explaining that what that sailor did was wrong, completely effective, amazing. I, I think that hits much more to the core than the yeller screamer that I can, you know, I can 
wait out for five minutes and then and leave. So I just think, again, the the opportunities that I've been blessed with to to not just growing up and seeing that at the household, but then also in my Navy career, being exposed to a lot of that, to see all of that has kind of helped shape my leadership style. Um, I am also a very, uh, you know, when I worked in the McPond's office, McPond Smith would, uh, you know, he, we would go travel places and he, you know, he would always lead his conversations off by, yeah, I'm here. And I got Toby, my fun uncle, fun uncle Toby over there. Cause everybody you know, wants to come get some Toby time, hang with Toby here for a little bit. Um, but, but I believe that, you know, as long as you're effective in getting the jobs and the tasks done that you're supposed to, whatever they may be at whatever level that you're, you know, whatever leadership style you have, you know, based on what you've learned from others, that you, you stay true to yourself. You, you are, that is your style. Nobody else. Again, I can't be Joe Campa. I can't be Marco Ramirez. I love a lot of the stuff they've done and I've learned stuff from there, but there are other things that I have to just, you know, that's only, only Toby can do. And that's what I want to be able. I just want to be authentic and I want to be relevant. And so that's just kind of how my leadership style has been over the years. Um, you know, what we adapt, we, adapt, we, the other thing about senior enlisted leaders, Enrique, I know you did this as well, is that we change our leadership styles for our boss or we adapt to our bosses. So, you know, I, I, I've had those yeller screamer COs that I've had to kind of adjust my style to where I'm more of the, I'm more of the fullback now blocking. To, to keep the sailors and the CO separate to where I can interpret and help shape and, and do whatever we need to do. Whereas we've had others that are very welcoming, very open. And so then that gives me a little more leeway to where I can bring them to, you know, interact with them differently and interact to the sailors differently, you know, but it's always us that needs to flex because our leaders are not going to change. That's not their, their role to change. We adapt to make sure that the environment remains effective, that the, that the, you know, our culture, wherever we're at remains a positive working one so that we can move forward to get the job done. So um, I, I know I was a little all over the place there with that one, but that's just, that's kind of my mindset when it comes to leadership in general, everybody's got to stop. Every single one of us has a different way of doing things. I may not necessarily agree with how you may have handled the situation and vice versa. I know people have disagreed with the way I've handled things or, or tasks or whatever, but in the end, did we get the job done? Were we good at it? If not, what can we do to make it better? And then let's continue moving on because we got other jobs to do. Yeah. And I, I tell you, you know, we all have a demand on how we influence, especially in a leadership position, how we influence, um, the senior enlisted leader, for those uh, that may not know the, the on the military side, uh, it's a it's a it, you know, you bring the flavor. Right. How much salt do you want in this mix? How much you don't. Right. Um, and it's amazing uh, the latitude. Now, uh, the Navy may be a little more flexible than others. I don't know. I only served in the Navy, but I do know at the at the mess level, at the chief's mess level. There's a lot of flexibility as to how much you want to influence that flavor, right? Um, hopefully, you you know how to pinch the salt, right, and and add it <laughs> at, at will. Um, but uh, but that's a a position that I uh, that I cherish. That while, while I was serving, that was a, a cherished position because we all don't get that in service, mm -hmm. right? There's uh, you know, the junior officers don't get that. The, you know, the, yeah. the junior enlisted don't get that. Only the mess gets that. Uh, and even some senior officers don't get that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a it's a triadic uh, position where you uh, are able to influence. Uh, and I would say at a very calculated rate, how much you want uh, to 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 make your mark on there. So a great point uh, as we as we head into this, uh, and I was going to ask you know what's what makes you different from the rest of the leaders. You kind of you kind of uh, touched on that. So let's talk about uh, you know family upbringing because it does influence, right? Um, I'll I'll give you an example. My mom was a a cleaner, man. That lady will clean. 
if, if you know what you know, you talk about those mafia stories and the movies when they call the cleaner, <laughs> it might as well have been my mom because she came in there and she cleaned house. I mean, you would not tell anybody was there. Everything was spick and spam. And so when I came in the military, uh, I remember this one uh, time in in Hawaii. Uh, they, you know, hey, I was the I was the one striper. I was the two striper. They were like, hey, it's time for you to go clean the head. So and and the head is the bathroom for everybody that don't uh, sailor speak. But uh, you know, and I went in there and that you could have ate off that floor. Yep. That was that was not attributed to anyone teaching me in the navy how to clean. Because guess what? They didn't teach you how to clean. They just expected you to clean. But my mom, my mom, that influence, uh, and I'll tell you, it it was her, it was the Hispanic heritage. We just wanted things done right so that we can, uh, so no one had anything bad to say about us. Yeah, my mom was yeah. heavy on, on, on. Uh, I would say not pride, but honor. Right? She was yeah. heavy on honor. Don't bring this honor onto our family name. Don't bring this honor onto our family, you know, our household. When you get out there, you do your best uh, because number one, God's watching. Number two, I'm going to hear about it. <laughs> <Right? So laughs> yeah, it'll go, always makes its way back home. Right, right. And so, <laughs> so I brought that piece of me into my service. Um, and I'll tell you, it, it really uh, set me apart from the rest of the sailors. They were they knew when Enrique cleaned the head and they knew when somebody else cleaned the head. Um, so in terms of that influence, uh, what do you think in your in your heritage, your upbringing, your household um, made it into your service as a, you know, as, as a Navy member? I, I think probably the big the biggest thing I would say is probably empathy, um, because. A lot of times mom were always, and again, mom was the enforcer. She was kind of the driver in our house. You know, she would always compare things to, you know, or, or compare, you know, you think you got it bad, but, and then use examples and stories and, and learned a lot from those. Learned a lot from just within our own struggles as a family. And, and so I think one of the things that I always try to look at uh, is trying to see it through somebody else's view when a sailor gets in trouble. Okay. Well, what did you do? Why did you do? And, and, and try to empathize. Okay. What were they thinking? And, and, you know, right away, especially for like real flagrant or real stupid decisions that our sailors make, we'll figure we make them right. What, it, you know, but try to say, well, but did they think about maybe or maybe were they doing that because of this or that or trying to see different angles to be empathetic with the sailor to try to at least humanize or maybe make me look a little more human to them to understand where they're coming from and, and try to make it a learning lesson besides, you know, so, some things obviously we had to punish for, but trying to make it a lesson, you know, I, I was, my mom had always said, Hey, we're going to make mistakes. It happens. Right. But if you make the same mistake twice, then, then you got some issues. And if you continue to make those same mistakes after knowing what you're not supposed to do, then, then, then you're the dumb one here because you have not applied that. And I've always believed that, you know what, you learn a lesson you know, and you make sure you never do it again. And I want my sailors and my Marines to make sure that they never, that they never do that. They know what the rules are. They know whatever it is, uh, is to instill it in them. Hey, uh -uh, that was your one shot. Consider yourself lucky, count your blessings. Now get back to work. Don't do that again. Um, so I, I would have to say empathy is probably the biggest thing that I took from our family and, and, uh, and as growing up and still to this day. 31 years later. And again, it's a little more of a learning curve now because we are so different now, you know, it, it, sailors and young people at that age now than when we were that age way back. We could get away with a lot back then. I, I, I don't know <laughs> if I would survive or, you know, if we put today's standards and, and rules and all that back when you and I were young sailors, 
I don't know if you'd see a command master chief, you know, salty dog Ruiz here right now, because it's just times have changed. We've had to adapt with that change. And again, be empathetic for me, I think is probably one of the, the biggest things that I've learned and, and still use today along this journey. Yeah. Great, great uh, leadership point. Uh, empathy. If, if, and I'll tell you, I, I've seen leaders rule without empathy. It's a terrible thing. Um, and I've seen a leader's rule with empathy or at least add that to their toolbox and they have flourished and so have their people. Right. Uh, so always a good thing to add that piece of flavor into the pot yeah. because you're, you're, you're going to reap dividends that, uh, you, you would not, if you didn't. Right. Um, you know, in, in the Hispanic Latino culture, there is a sense of pride, right? Uh, you know, la uh, last night I was doing a live show on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, it was, I had my Guido, I had my cowbell, I had my maracas, <laughs> we were playing music, September 15th, you know, celebrating. Um, you know, there's a sense of pride around a heritage, right? And it does not uh, just, you know, Latin. We celebrate Asian Pacific Islander. We celebrate all other kind of, uh, of, of heritages in the, you know, the confines of our United States. Um, it's always nice to see that. Um, but I grew up in a household where uh, honor was big, right? Honor was big. Um, you go back to Asia, right? Honor in Japan is big. Yeah. Uh, right. So uh, there, there are things that come with growing up in a, a specific heritage. Um, how did you feel um, as you was, you know, going up the ranks and, and you, you know, you, you mentioned at the point of chief, you started saying, Oh, wait, well, maybe this is a thing, <laughs> right. Uh, not growing up with it. Uh, but, but you start seeing very few Hispanics, very few Latinos in positions. So how did you feel as a Hispanic Latino uh, uh, getting into those positions of, of, uh, of more authority? So, selfishly when when i think about it or have thought about it i'm like you know man i i, I i'm a good news story i guess or i'm a good you know I, and and to know that i'm one of those few uh i you know th that's a very prideful moment as you said we, we take a lot of pride in, in in being able to to say that um i i don't really talk about it or think about it unless somebody else brings it up um you know or again you know there'll be times that i'll reflect on, on on things that i've done in the past or you know paths that i have could have taken um i i have always said in my navy career i have no regrets or as the old joke goes no regrets right um if i could do a couple things different i probably would now now that i know now that i didn't know back then uh, but that's water under the bridge. And that's not, uh, I don't spend a lot of time wishing that or, or, or moping over that. Um, I, the Navy has been very good to me, much, much better to me than I ever deserve. Um, and I truly believe that everything that we are given, and it doesn't matter if we're Latino or whatever other heritage is out there. I, I truly believe it's an opportunity. Um, opportunities for us to capitalize on if we want it. Um, I also believe that as leaders now, we need to create those opportunities for others so that they cannot just, you know, enjoy the same things that we have enjoyed along the way, but surpass that and move on so that we can get to the next Joe Campa or that we can get to, you know, Rear Admiral Yvette Davids, our, our, I, I think she's our most senior Hispanic right now in the officer ranks, or Admiral Dennis Velez, another one. You know, we need more of that to, to, to represent and to continue on bigger, better for the benefit of our organization. Um, so I, I truly believe that, that capitalizing on any opportunities given to us, we take. We take it, we roll with it creating those opportunities back down. And one last piece I would say, and, you know, a, a fellow uh, command master chief had once said this and says, hey, if you don't have people advocating for you or recognizing that, hey, 
you've got something that is going to help us and take us to that next level and be able to help shape or create those opportunities for you. You know, if, if you, everybody should have an advocate, everybody should have mentor or mentors along the way, um, you know, like heritage or otherwise, just again, creating opportunities for others to flourish. I think that that that's the way that I've always tried to look at it. Um, again, you know, being one of the few senior Hispanic, you know, types in the enlisted ranks, that, that, that means a, a lot to me. Uh, you know, I, I think more in conversation, anything when people bring that up, I normally don't really think about that, but I think the payback to that is creating those opportunities for others and letting them flourish and letting them have those same opportunities and much more than what I had growing up. Yeah. I love that. And, and, and to your point, uh, and, and folks listening, it's not the fact that we were Hispanic. It's not the fact that we were Latino. Uh, it's the fact that there was a person that chose a professional way of doing things. That professionalism was observed and there were people. I, I love that you bring up advocates because when you talk about advocates, um, when I got on island in Hawaii uh, and, and believe it or not, I mean, I was, uh, yeah. I was told there was a <laughs> there was something planned for me, uh, but um, you know, you know, you you get folks like Mark Sabal, mm -hmm. Filipino. Yep. He he went through a program from the Philippines and got into the Navy and he got his you know his citizenship and was yep. the regional command he's master he's chief he's of Hawaii, right? Midpac yeah. and all that. He advocated for me. He's Filipino, I'm Puerto Rican, but he saw something like you, you mentioned. He saw something and he advocated for me. Another individual that we both know, Fleet Master Chief John Minion. He's Caucasian American. And don't have no Hispanic except that he lives in Texas now. And he's speaking some Spanish, though, I'll tell you. Uh, and, uh, Great, man. Thanks, thanks yeah. for throwing that in there, man. <laughs> Just an added, you know, thing. But I tell you, uh, you know, as leaders, uh, and to your point, uh, Toby, as leaders, our position, uh, not only to influence and impact the 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 our scope and fear of a sphere of influence but to provide opportunities for those professionals that we observe that have it to give into the future and give them an a shot you know uh the pacific wounded warrior trials was all john minion he between him and 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 you know mark sabal uh, they figured out this young senior chief can do it. Uh, you know, so it wasn't uh, the Hispanic Latino uh, heritage. It was professionalism. And so as long as you are out there, whether you're Hispanic or not, whatever nationality or, you know, heritage you come from, aspire to be a professional. Yep. And you will see things come your way that maybe others in your heritage or in your background have not. And, and that is the key point. And so thank you for sharing that. Uh, you know, if I may add one, one quick note to that, you know, I, again, I've had those same advocates along the way as well, you know, and, and many thanks to, uh, to then fleet. And now, uh, you know, uh, Mick Pond, now that he's retired, Steven Giordano, uh, you know, Marco Ramirez, again, Suze Whitman, another huge advocate who, not just, you know, they, they not just taught me things that I needed to know for certain positions and, and certain future opportunities, but then they, those opportunities, when they presented themselves, I had somebody to say, hey, did you think about Toby for this particular job? Or did you think about this, uh, you know, for, for whatever at hand? And I, I have many things to give to them as well, because again, if you don't have those advocates to help you get over that, to get the ball across the goal line, you know, then I think you're doing yourself a disservice. And it's, uh, it's in a very important part of that process. Absolutely. Now I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, but we're coming to the end here as we uh, uh, get to 
celebrate, you know, September 15th to October 15th, Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, it has been my pleasure, brother, to host you in this particular episode. But if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, uh, uh, both, you know, Navy or, or civilian side, uh, to chat about your journey uh, in leadership in the Navy, how would they do that? Well, I appreciate that opportunity for a plug. So I am uh, on Facebook still, uh, not quite as active as I think once was. Rika, you know that. We had daily postings and stuff back in the day. But uh, I, I still check it every day, check messages. So uh, Toby Ruiz, uh, my picture is actually up there. See this ugly mug right here? It, it, it'll be right there for you. And also I'm on LinkedIn as well, uh, Toby Ruiz. Uh, a picture of me in my, uh, my dress blues uniform. Uh, please reach out. I, I encourage you to reach out. Uh, there is no question out there that's a dumb question. I, you know what? I take that back. The dumb questions that are out there are the ones that we don't ask. So, you know, get it out there. You know, talk situations. I love conversations like this. Uh, Enrique, again, first of all, it's great to see you. It's been a while. Other uh, For you and me talking anyway, I, I watch your podcasts and your videos all the time. I love what you're doing. You know, you're you're uh, you're an old gray beard, retired sailor, but you're still serving. You're serving us to allow us to continue to learn and make ourselves better. And I thank you for that. Uh, I thank you for this opportunity. And I, I hope we can have some more conversations like this in the future, brother. I love them. All right, folks. And I'm going to make sure that that is part of the videos and show notes so that you can get a hold of Command Master Chief Ruiz. Uh, and ask away. I tell you, a, a source uh, and a well of wisdom, a lot of experience, so you won't be uh, regretting reaching out to him. Now, I want to remind everybody that today's episode is sponsored by Triad Leadership Solutions. If you've enjoyed this episode and learned something interesting about the topic covered today, make sure to subscribe and let us know by leaving a comment right now. We're always looking for new ideas and guests that we can add to our show. So if you know someone or have a topic that you would like featured on the podcast or want to sponsor the show, we'd love to hear about it by emailing us at triadleadershipsolutions at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue a celebration of Hispanic heritage for another episode where we dissect leadership from another angle. And as we like to end the show, success to you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Triad Leadership Solutions and on Twitter at TLS underscore FL. Thanks again. I'll see you next week and success to you.